Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. I'll be honest with you, this is probably the longest sermon that I've ever prepared for. Uh, I know, I heard you. I get it. Uh, So here's what we're going to do. We're going to hit super high points. Uh, because we're going to be here for a little while, and I'm talking about be here as in the series. I'm just going to do an introduction today. But uh, uh, this is a this is a an uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me because I have uh, I know that the Lord is teaching me right now, and so as He's teaching me, I want to make sure that we're processing together. And so uh, this is a this is a time of of learning for me, and uh, and so uh, He has. I don't want to uh, necessarily because it makes me uncomfortable, uh, but, uh, but I am conveying uh, out of obedience to him and uh, trying to create this culture in our church. So I want us to turn first to John chapter 14, verse 12. And so as we are uh, turning to this passage of Scripture, we're going to be talking about discipleship, what discipleship really looks like. So, you know, the very last opportunity that Jesus had to teach us anything and to advise us on anything and to mandate a order to us was after his resurrection and just prior to his ascension. This was his last seconds on earth. And of all the things that he taught his disciples, he told them to replicate, to make disciples. And, and then he goes a step further to say, here's what it looks like to make disciples. Teach them the things that I've taught you. Baptize them and bring them into the family of God. In other words, what he is saying, so, so you look at all that Jesus did, right? And so again, here we start with the highlights. All the things that Jesus did can be summed up in this. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus made disciples. He focused his entire ministry on 11 or 12 guys. We could say 11 because Judas failed, but Jesus always knew that that was going to happen. So Jesus discipled people, and then the last second that he was on earth, he told them to do what he did, make disciples. So we sum Jesus' ministry up into miracles and teaching, but ultimately the goal of Jesus' ministry, because he never left more than 100 miles away from home. So Jesus' ministry wasn't to perform miracles all over the world and to get our attention by miracle making. Jesus was getting our attention by taking uneducated, unskilled, untrained fishermen and tax collectors and dropouts. And the Bible says that they turned the world upside down. So Jesus said, the things that you've seen me do, do these things. So now let's turn to John chapter 14, verse 12. Of all the things that Jesus wanted us to do, it was make disciples. And then when we step onto the scene, we start coming up with excuses as to why we can't. We don't know enough. We don't pray enough. We don't read enough. We don't know enough. Uh, uh, too many people. Uh, our gifts are not in evangelism or disciple making. You know, we we just keep talking ourselves out of obedience. But through this series, I'm going I'm going to try my best to convey to us what the truth is of all these things. Listen, it is the summation of everything in Scripture is to make disciples. It's to replicate. It's the point of every page going all the way back to Genesis and all the way through to the very last page. And as David just read to us, even in Revelation, 
It's when we're talking about the hosts of heaven, these were people that were brought to Jesus Christ through evangelism. And he says, of all the rewards that you can receive in heaven, there is a soul winner's crown. Someone who is bringing people to Christ. And Jesus made it. And So what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is four stages that Jesus brings us into and how we are to replicate that. Jesus brings us to following, to serving, and then ultimately he brings us all the way into uh, uh, friendship. On, into brotherhood. These are the words that he calls these 12 men from, from followers to servants to friends to brothers. And that's the sta- same stages. And he tells us, he tells us, that's why we have the New Testament. He tells us how to be obedient in making disciples. So I want us to listen with our very best effort because there are some things here that I'm afraid that we've missed. John chapter 14, verse 12 is uh, the first passage, the verse that we will read. Uh, Jesus explains this. He said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've done. The works that he's done, he's talking about his earthly ministry. And this is right near the end of his earthly ministry. But he goes one step further into the second part of that verse. And he says that, uh, that his disciples will do even greater things. Than, than he did. He said, wait a minute, that almost sounds, that almost sounds blasphemous. When Jesus says, you'll, you'll do the things that I've done, and in fact, you'll do even greater than me. And for us to, to say, wait a minute, did Jesus just say that, that we would do greater works than he did? I mean, that's like, makes us uncomfortable, right? So here's what we do with it. We just pretend that he didn't say it. All right, so we're not going to, what did he mean by it? No, I don't really know. So let's just tuck it away somewhere, and we won't have to deal with it that way. But it is the crux of his ministry. This is the empowering moment where he tells them that they can do the things he's going to command them to do in just a few days. I want you to look at it. And it'd be great if we even memorized it. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And I think that's important because Jesus is going to tell them in a moment when he starts talking about crucifixion, they're going to say, no, you're not going to die. You're going to stay with us. And Jesus is like, no, it's good for me. It's good for you that I go to the Father. Because if I go to the Father, I will send the Holy Spirit to you, right? So this is why it is so good. And it's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do the works of Jesus and even greater works than these. You say, ooh, even when I still say it, it's just like, oh, man, greater works than Jesus... Jesus ministered for less than four years on the earth. But he's given many of us five, ten, twenty, forty, fifty years of doing the works that Jesus did. Even in the first century, the apostles were doing things that Jesus didn't do. Speaking in tongues. Traveling to the nations to testify of the good. Jesus never did those things. Those are great things. I'm grateful for those great things because at some point, the truth intersected with my people. And I'm grateful for that. Jesus said He came to preach to the Jews first. He didn't preach to Gentiles. The greater things is opening up the doors of the kingdom to all tribes and all peoples, every nation, every family. These are greater things. These are greater works that Jesus called us to do. And I know the temptation is for us to say, but boy, I am just so ill-equipped. I am unqualified to do that. And you're exactly right. 
That's why you must decrease and he must increase. So he goes so that his spirit could reside in us. How dare we make excuses for why we're not involving ourselves in the great commission of making disciples and going to the nations. You say, well, I, I just don't think God's called me to be, be a missionary in France. Well, fine. That doesn't exempt you from being a missionary to your neighbor or to your spouse or to your coworkers. It doesn't exempt us because of what we feel because we're neglecting the power of the Spirit that resides within us. Now, I know that the temptation also is to say, wait, greater works than these, and, and I'm not an apostle. Jesus is talking to the apostles. No, Jesus is not talking to the apostles. Look what he says, verse 12. Truly, truly, or amen, amen. It is a true statement that I'm giving you. Whoever believes in me, who is that? You see that? He's talking to his disciples of which you are one. If you claim to believe in Jesus. Now, when you say, so let me, let me show you a little a break, breakdown. And I, I'm not, don't get hung up on this because this is not the preachy part, okay? Uh, but, but I'm afraid that we have so watered down the gospel of Jesus Christ that leads to salvation because we encourage people to believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And so a lot of people, and just be patient for a second. I'm not challenging your salvation yet. But a lot of people believe that they're Christians and they're not. Because they believe that God exists. Or they believe that Jesus existed. But this word, if you believe, is not the word that means a mental acuity. It doesn't mean to have a, an understanding or an acknowledgement that God exists. It's not believing that God exists. The word in Greek is pistuo. It means faith. It means trust. It means 100% commitment. So when Jesus talks about believing in Him, He's not talking about believing uh, just that He lived. He's talking about whoever believes me, whoever trusts me, whoever walks with me will do the things that I've done. Why? Because He's empowered us to do that to be a continuation of His ministry. In fact, He goes a step even further than that to say, in fact, you'll do greater works than I did because that wasn't my ministry. My ministry wasn't to do the works. My ministry was to testify who the Father was. So now that we have an access to the Father, now ministry can really evolve. But if you look at the modern-day church, almost everywhere, it's paralyzed. It's ineffective. It's filled with Christians who keep talking themselves out of ministry. This isn't the prophecy that give, Jesus gives us. When you look around at the, the paralysis of the modern church, this isn't the testimony that Jesus gives us. Long ago, I, I think it's a, a deep conviction that most of us probably have. And it, it originates in the Bible's teaching about Jesus, that Jesus claimed... And I believe clearly claimed to be equal with his father. Look at, at John chapter 10 verse 30. We're going to hit some things pretty rapid fire here. But Jesus said there in John 10 30, uh, to see him is to see the father, right? So when you see Jesus, you're not looking at Jesus. You're actually looking at the father because 
Jesus goes on to describe that everything he said, he said because the Father gave him to say. And everything he did is because the Father told him to do it. So Jesus had this very close kinship to the Father. Jesus is not saying he was the Father. He was saying, everything that's been given to me, I've given away, but everything that was given to me came from the Father. Right? Jesus was, he emptied himself out. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is actually claiming the name Yahweh. He is claiming God's covenant name here. And all of the Pharisees understood what he was saying. And they, you know, the scribes and they tearing their clothes and they're blasphemer because Jesus was claiming to be equal with God. Jesus was actually claiming that God was his father, which means that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. And they didn't believe that. So this is where the charges really started on. We've got to kill this guy because he is claiming to be equal with God. There is no doubt at all that Jesus knew who he was. And Jesus was God. Paul makes this very clear in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. He says, in your, Paul said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Or have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Listen, folks, this is so important. He goes on to talk about Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, or in Him is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's so important for us to understand that Jesus claimed to be God, and Paul claimed that Jesus was God. But in that, he also talks often about how you know, he receives worship. We can agree that the Bible teaches that Jesus was fully God, but here's the, here's the weird thing about Jesus, if, if there's a weird thing. Not only did Jesus claim to be 100% God, but Jesus was also 100% man. Fully God, but fully man. Now, here's where our misunderstanding comes in. Because when we see Jesus, we see Jesus exercising His Godhood. We see Him exercising and flexing as God from time to time. Like, from time to time, God steps into deity, and then when everything kind of calms back down, then He does what He wants to do. He steps back into humanity. And thank God He was human when He died on the cross, because that's where we receive forgiveness. Don't amen that, because that's not really true. Jesus did not step into deity and into humanity. Jesus was always God and always man. How can this possibly work? It is a weird thing. And, and theologians have wrestled with how to describe it for 2,000 years. But we know that He was a human. He was conceived by the Spirit, born to an ordinary woman. Scripture in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, one of the most extraordinary passages of Scripture about Jesus as God, that he grew in wisdom and stature. Wait a minute, I thought he was God. How does God grow in wisdom and stature? How can God learn anything? How can God process? How can God grow? But the Scripture is very clear. He became hungry, he became thirsty, he became weary, he got sleepy. He, sometimes he was hard to wake up because he was so exhausted. 
He was uh, he experienced sorrow. He experienced grief. He experienced temptation on every level. And yes, it was real temptation. And God is not tempted to sin, but humanity is. Yes, Jesus was tempted in every way like we are. Fully human. And some of the things that we'll never experience, Jesus experienced during His arrest, His trial, His execution. Scripture says that He endured all manner of indignities. Soldiers spat on His face. They punched Him. They flogged Him with a whip. They nailed Him to a cross. They run Him through with a spear. And yes, Jesus bruised and bled and died and was buried. Fully human. 100% human 100% of the time. And the New Testament is very clear. Jesus fully part. You look at John chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 also tells us Jesus fully partook of our flesh and blood. He was a real human being. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 said, In all ways except sinless. Jesus was sinless because he was not born of Adam, he was born of the Holy Spirit. He did not have a sin nature. That is so important. The virgin birth of Jesus is so important to His deity and His humanity. This is how God, Jesus is both God and man. So you begin to sense this real issue of Him being fully God and fully man at the same time. He does not slip and slide in and out as it is convenient. Here's the thing. Jesus must be our kinsman redeemer. Jesus had to experience full humanity all the time, to qualify as our Savior. So here's what happens, and here's what happened immediately in the first century and ever since. Folks who have loved Jesus and trust the, the, the inerrancy of Scripture under, understand it this way. That, and, the, and the Scriptures convey this as well. That Jesus emptied Himself. He who was rich became poor so that those who were poor could be made rich in Him. Amen? Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but emptied Himself. Before the foundation of the world was laid, before sin was even a thing, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, already made a decision that He would become human for us. And that is a, that is a weird thing to think. God became flesh. And when He became flesh, here's what God eternal did. The very... Moment of conception, Jesus preordained that He would cloak His deity. That He would veil it. Let me, let me make it, I'll make it English for us for a moment. That He would not dip into His deity. Jesus never, not one time, flexed. Never. He said, wait a minute. You're saying that Jesus never acted as God? That's exactly what I'm saying. Was He God? Yes. But He chose not to flex on it. Because if He flexed, is that okay for me to say it that way? If He flexed one time, He's disqualified from being our kinsman redeemer. He's either more than or less than man, whichever way you want to look at that. So Jesus chose... Though he was equal with God, he didn't consider it robbery. He wasn't taking anything away from the Father. But he emptied himself of that. Cloaked it. Veiled it. Said, wait a minute. 
Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was different than us. Amen? Yeah, he was uh, because he was sinless. He was sinless. Say, so wait a minute. Jesus performed a lot of miracles. He did. He did. We could list them. In fact, John in his uh, gospel says that Jesus performed so many miracles, the books of the, the libraries of the world couldn't contain it. Now, we know Jesus was a miracle maker, but miracles did not prove his deity. Miracles proved his messiahship. Look, every time that Jesus performed a miracle, it was to testify who the Father was, not who he was. Everything that he taught, and they were filled. Who speaks with such authority? It was always pointing to the Father, not to him. It's so important for us to understand this. And over the next few weeks, we're going, we're, I'm, going to, I'm going to show you in Scripture. Don't you have to take my word for it today. I'm just kind of laying the groundwork for it. So in all of Jesus' miracles, the closest we ever get to, the de- to seeing the deity of Jesus was the Mount of Transfiguration. And even then, he cloaked it. And Moses and, uh, and uh, Elijah was there. And you couldn't, they were, there was no difference. This was a glorified state, but not deity. Wait a minute, I thought every time Jesus... What about Lazarus? I mean, that's a pretty significant... I can't raise people up from the dead. Well, that's true. That's a pretty significant... What about walking on water? That's a pretty significant... Well, But was he flexing as God? Or was he proving his Messiahship? Listen, he was proving his Messiahship. That's what he was doing. Because the Jews even expected Messiah to do miracles. Look at Moses! Moses is splitting seas and turning rods into snakes and turning water into blood. Moses had an incredible miracle gift, but it wasn't his, right? It wasn't his gift. It was a gift of the Father through him. Look at Elijah. Elijah made dead people come back to life, but nobody said, oh, he's God. No, they said he's living on purpose. He's following God. You look at Paul. Paul is going to raise a man back from the dead. Eutychus. Now, it's not proof of deity. It's proof of living life on purpose and God doing extraordinary things through people who live on purpose. Wait a minute. What about the 11 times in Scripture where Jesus knew something that nobody else knew? Well, what about the times when you think that God is going to be omnipotent, but there were times where Jesus didn't flex. When are you coming back? I don't know. Who touched me? That woman. I didn't know that John the Baptist had his head cut off. There were lots of things that Jesus chose not to know. How would he know it? He didn't flex. What about the things that Jesus couldn't do? He was in the village once, and it says he could do no miracles among them except lay his hands on and save, you know, uh, heal some of them, the, the ones that were sick. Now, Jesus wasn't omnipotent. But he chose not to be. Boy, that's powerful. Jesus was not omniscient, but he chose not to be. It's a pretty powerful thing when you start thinking about the reason that Jesus was here wasn't to prove he was God. The reason that he was here was to prove that God sent a Savior to us, that God sent a Messiah to us. That was the reason that Jesus came, was to glorify God the Father, the Redeemer. The one who now has an open relationship with us because at least one of us was uh, satisfied the wrath of sin on humanity because he was sinless. 
And he lived sinless, even though he was tempted. Now listen, this is really, it's going to make a lot more sense later when we start seeing every temptation was Jesus being tempted to flex. If you are the Son of God. I am the Son of God, and I have never been more tempted to flex than right now. But if I flex, I will sacrifice a people for the Father. It is written, he said. It is written. What does he do? He doesn't flex. He quotes Scripture. Now, see, you you start looking at the, the times that Jesus knew what nobody else knew, and these things were... Well, even the Old Testament, book of Amos talks about it, book of Proverbs talks about it, we'll talk about it. But it says that God brings people into His divine counsel who's living on purpose for Him. So there are certain things that God reveals to people if you're tapped in to His purpose. New Testament would call it words of wisdom or maybe words of knowledge where God gives us information that we wouldn't have otherwise. What about gifts of healing, gifts of help and ministries? These are things that the Bible tells us that those who are alive in the Spirit have access to. But if you keep coming up with excuses, you're just paralyzing the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in you. Making miracles, or, uh, making disciples, I'm telling you, is one of the greatest miracles. But we tap out and say, well, I'm not good at that. No, you're not, but I am, he said. Over and over we begin to see these things. So, I give you all of that as just an introductory so that we can spend this week praying that God would open our hearts and that we begin to see some things about ourselves. Now, again, I am not diminishing Jesus at all because, wow, He shows us what the first Adam could not do. He shows us what God intended man to be like, and man couldn't do it. And so God himself cloaked himself and came so that we could tap into him. So it's good that he goes to the Father. And it's good that the Spirit comes. And it's good that the Spirit brings us back to life. And you can say, well, but I can't do that because Jesus was sinless and I'm not sinless. Oh, wait a minute. You're not sinless in your flesh. Which is primarily the problem. Because so many of us who think we're saved because we believe in Jesus, we keep tapping into the flesh to do ministry. Instead of into the Spirit. But when you tap into the Spirit, understand what you get. You actually get the nature of Jesus Himself. Does that mean you're sinless? No, but it means when the Father sees you, He sees Jesus. So you no longer get the, the excuse that, well, Pastor, you just don't know the things that I've done, and I'm exempt, and you know, God could never use me. No, but He can use Jesus in you, and Jesus in Himself to you. So, when we start understanding, this, the, the, the primary point of this message is for us to understand, you can no longer neglect and overlook your mandate to make disciples because that calling is in you and you will be held accountable for it. We can no longer neglect and make Jesus' life just about our salvation. Jesus' life in us is about salvation to the nations and glorifying God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. So now that we have, as Paul uses the word, morphe, the nature of Jesus itself, himself in us. This is why Jesus said, you'll be able to do the things that I've done. Which is what? Turn the world upside down. Are you turning the world upside down for your faith? 
It's the expectation and the calling for everyone who commits. It's like a marriage covenant with Jesus Christ. It's why he's the bride and we're the groom. We're different than he is. But Jesus in that covenant relationship has already said, I do. And he is waiting for a people who will say, I do. And I will walk in a committed covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. His life will be my life. I will have the mind of Christ. And I will let his ministry flow through me now that that's available. We can't come up with excuses anymore, folks. And I know right now we're sitting here thinking to ourselves, I really don't want to do that. Then we need to draw closer to Jesus because he gives us the unction to do that. I don't have time to do that. Then we need to change our calendars. I don't have the energy to do that. Then we need to change our, our habits and our priorities because it is the mandate of Jesus Christ himself. Do what I did. In fact, you will have longer to do it and you'll be empowered greatly to do it. So be encouraged this morning. I want you to be encouraged. It's easy to be overwhelmed. But we should be encouraged knowing that Christ will perfect himself in us. And we are thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Let's pray together. Oh, Christ alive in you, the hope of glory. He who knew no sin to become sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Let me tell you something, if that, over, if that does not overwhelm you, it ought to. It does not empower us to say, wow, to do the things that Jesus did. It humbles us. It should humble, it should break our hearts that Jesus Christ himself would tap into us and reveal himself to us and then give his life to us. I just pray we would put away the excuses. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the truth of your word. And I just pray that as we break these uh, truths down over the next few weeks, that, that we would be uh, sent out, that we would recognize the empowerment that we have already had. As Paul said, of all the, the earthly treasures that we have, it's just rubbish. But to know him and the power of his resurrection... We are his workmanship. So I just pray, Lord, that this morning you would begin to soften our hearts, make our spirits receptive to what your word already teaches us. You are never, ever less than God and never more than man. And that is our hope of having a relationship with the Father. And so, Lord, we thank you that there is no name given among men whereby we must be saved other than the the name of Jesus Christ. So we celebrate him today and we honor him. We submit our lives to him. We don't just believe in him, we believe him. And help us, Lord, to walk faithfully with him. Devoted to the word of God. Devoted to the power of prayer. Completely surrendered to the Spirit's work. Lord, I pray, thank you for showing us what is available through those resources. And may we, Lord, continue his work through his empowerment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.